You know, Jesus warned that we should not be concerned or we should not concern ourselves with judging someone else. Very interesting. Good morning. Good afternoon. Good evening. My name is Rod Hembry. I'm Jen. And this is Bible Discovery TV. We are discovering the Word of God, the Bible. The 66 books from Genesis 1 to Revelation 22. And we're going to talk about that in about three minutes. But Corey and Ryan are here right now. Go ahead, Corey. I'm taking a look at a really interesting place, a really popular tourist destination, Capernaum. Ryan? Today, my segment is all about Matthew, one of the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ and the human author of the gospel that we're currently reading. I really like the study of the New Testament. That's good. They're coming up in about uh, 12 minutes time, so make sure you stay there for that. Coming up in about 15 minutes is Janice. Where's our focus? All right, so take your Bible guide and your Bible, the most important book of all, and let's open up and study and listen to what God is saying to us. Matthew 7, 1 through 12. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but do not consider the plank in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye, and look, a plank is in your own eye. Hypocrite. First, remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Matthew chapter 7 Verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 7 through 9, you know, a big part of the ministry of Jesus Christ in your life and in other people's is others. How we treat one another is critical to our faith. To many, faith is just a personal way that they worship God. But to those who follow Jesus Christ, faith is how we treat others. We are commanded by Jesus Christ to be careful that we do not judge or we will be judged. Matthew 7, 1 to 2. We are told not to try to, you know, fix everyone else's problems without looking at our, our own corrosive selves and fix our own problems first. 
Matthew 7, 3 to 5. Now, this is critical to those of the following of Christ in today's world. It is very tempting to go on social media to judge others, to condemn others rather than concern with Jesus Christ has called us to have for them. You see, Jesus Christ faithfully preached his calling and his message regularly speaking to those who were both willing and unwilling to listen. He has called you and I to love our neighbors as ourselves. And he wants each of us and every one of us to show that love. Now, that's not a love that we have normally. A lot of people talk about, well, I just want to be normal. Well, you can be normal, but normal is not how God wants us to be. He wants us to be truly normal, righteous. That's how God wants us to be, righteousness and justice. That's what that means. Well, today we're going to study others, Matthew chapter 7. And I want to tell you, I love this one because so many people have ideas about what God said and they've heard it on the media and everybody said it on television. And many people who are not Christians have said it back to us and all the rest of it. And we don't answer it with correction or we don't answer it with not correction as much as it is as keeping the scripture straight. So let's study that. Take your Bible guide, turn to today's passage. If you don't have one, call us or write us or go to Bible Discovery TV and get a hold of it so you can study along with us. Today, we need to pray. Lord, I, I need to pray that we would listen. You know, there's a lot of times that we look at Scripture, but we don't listen. We need to, we need to hear what you're saying to us because the Bible tells us the truth about who you are, tells us the truth about who we are in you tells us the truth about what our calling is, tells us the truth about everything. Help us, Father, today to understand what you said about judgment, what you said about how we are to act and respond to each other. Help us, Lord, in this world of social media to get ourselves focused on Christ and not on everybody else's comments and everybody else's things. In the name of Jesus Christ, and we said together, amen and amen. Now let's take a look at this because this is really good. Matthew chapter 7, beginning with verse 1. Here's what it says. Judge not, Jesus said, that you not be judged. Jesus said, judge not that you not be judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you, Jesus said. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye but do not consider the plank in your own eye, Jesus said. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and, and look, a plank is in your own eye, Jesus said. Hypocrite! First remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye, Jesus said. Jesus warns that we should not concern ourselves with judging someone else. We are to look inside first, not to be quick and harsh in our judgment of others. This is a really good one. We watch the news and we see things. Some of our leaders being 
accused and indicted. Both sides of the fence. Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I will. He did that. He did that. He did that. What are we doing? Sin is in us. Sin is in our leaders. Sin is in everybody. Beloved, we need to get rid of the sin. We need to pray that God would help us. We need to ask Jesus Christ to come into our society. Start by coming into me. Father, come into my heart. Change me. I need you today. Lord, I need you. That's what we need to do. Interesting, isn't it? Matthew 7, verse 6. Here's what it says. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before the swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you into pieces. In the context of talking about judgment, Jesus warned us to be careful about making holy things of God secular. Holy things of God secular. Our heart should be set apart for the Lord. I want to tell you something. I am not at any way involved in any politics, but I'm involved in Jesus Christ. And we need to be involved in Jesus Christ. That's what we need to do. We need to stop with identifying this person and that person, everything, but it's, we need to just stop and say, Lord, I need you. Help me to make the personal decision of how to vote. Help me to make the personal decision. I've got to make that decision. Nobody else. Help me, Lord. Very, very important. Jesus continues to say this. Matthew 7, verse 7. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. Or what man is there among you who, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father, who is in heaven, give good things to those who ask him? Therefore, whatever you want men to do to you, now listen carefully, this is important, Whatever you want men to do to you, do also to them. <laughs> For this is the law and the prophets. Interesting, isn't it? Jesus told us to consistently pray and seek the Lord. We are to continue to ask, seek, and knock. God will answer us. Beloved, let me tell you. We don't need to be on this campaign and that campaign. I'm not saying that we shouldn't. I'm just saying that we need to focus our attention on Jesus Christ. Focus on God. The Lord will speak to our hearts. The Lord will help us to answer the questions. Beloved, we need the Lord like never before in the history of the United States of America, in the history of Europe and the UK, in the history of Australia, in the history of the Philippines, in the, in the history of the world, history of Canada, we need Jesus Christ in our lives. Father, help us today. Oh Lord, we need you. We celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. 
When you clap and when you get excited, you are celebrating life. Do you understand that? Jesus Christ gave us life. But he promised that the Holy Spirit would be sent. Well, today you and I are going to be taking a look at the ancient town or village of Capernaum. Now, already in Matthew's gospel, we've heard about Capernaum. Sometimes it's just referred to as um, they went back to their town or his town when referring to Jesus and the disciples. This really became their, their center of Galilean ministry. And, and we're going to see it not only in Matthew, but in the other gospels as well. So today, let's take a look at the ancient village of Capernaum and the, the modern excavated site of Capernaum as well. The village of Capernaum, located on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, was a center of the ministry of Jesus Christ. It appears several times in the Gospels as Jesus' home base, where he stayed in the family home of Peter. Here in Capernaum, Jesus did many miracles. He interacted with a Roman centurion, and he routinely taught in Capernaum synagogue, where he healed at least one man. Today, the site of ancient Capernaum has been identified and largely excavated. After the life of Christ, Capernaum continued to be a successful fishing and trading town, but now with added religious significance. It became a place of Christian pilgrimage. It boasted a large and beautiful Jewish synagogue and housed a Roman population as well. After a large earthquake in the 11th century, Capernaum was abandoned. As we know it today, Capernaum was identified in 1866, and the western part of the site was purchased in 1894 by the Franciscan custody of the Holy Land. To protect the site from the looting that had been going on, the Franciscan fathers reburied parts of the site and built a tall stone protective wall. Excavations began in 1905. Capernaum's most spectacular finds are a 4th century limestone synagogue and a church that's believed to have been built over the remains of Peter's house. The synagogue was excavated and reconstructed in the 1920s. It was originally built on a platform to make it the tallest point in the village. Its age was confirmed when the floor was removed and trenches were excavated downward. They revealed a first century structure underneath, built with that local volcanic stone typical of the rest of the village's homes and buildings. This is believed to have been the synagogue in which Jesus preached. In the fill layer between the floor of the old synagogue and the floor of the newer synagogue, pieces of pillars, gray granite pillar bases, and decorative moldings were found. These are believed to have once adorned the original first century synagogue. The next exciting structure is an octagonal church believed to have been built over the house of Peter. Churches built in this shape were meant to commemorate specific events in Christian history and are known elsewhere. Underneath this octagonal church was an earlier church with various Christian graffiti carved into its plaster-covered walls. This church was a renovated first-century home. It was built of rough local stones and cobblestone-paved floors. Like the other homes in Capernaum, it was one story. This home was slightly bigger than the average Capernaum household and was oriented around two open-air courtyards. In one of them, the family's oven was excavated. 
Sometime in the mid to late first century AD, the largest room of the house was plastered. This has been taken by researchers as perhaps the earliest evidence of Christians gathering to worship. So many places mentioned in the Bible, in the Old Testament, in the New Testament, very awesome, though, to have so many excavated sites from the time period of the New Testament that, you know, even just looking at pictures, I mean, it, it's amazing to be able to go and stand in these places, but even just looking at pictures and videos that are readily available on online now of a place, for example, uh, like Capernaum, really gives you a feel of what the place would have been like and gives you a, a, a better idea of the geography, the topography, and the places where Jesus and the disciples lived and walked and ministered. You know, it's interesting because you went to Capernaum. I did. And, uh, and, and you had an interesting experience there, which we'll talk about on another program. But it's not what you expect. I, I've been there. It's not what we expected. Uh, so it's very interesting to see the ancient, how it would have been. And they did not have cities like we have today. And it was fascinating. Mm -hmm. Anyway, Ryan. Yes. So to go along with our reading of Matthew, I thought it, it would be very fitting to study the life of the man who penned this gospel. And what makes his testimony so powerful is that he was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, he was one of the 12 disciples. But as a tax collector, he was looked down upon in that culture. So when Jesus called him to be a disciple, it was very politically incorrect. This is Matthew's story. Although he is now considered a very prominent figure in Christian history, if we listed the 12 disciples of Jesus Christ according to what society thought of them, at the very bottom, lower than a fisherman, would be Matthew. Why? Because he was a publican. Publicans were fellow Jews who collected taxes from their own people for the Romans, and they made their money and lots of it by adding a surcharge on top of the required Roman tax. So publicans were seen as unpatriotic extortionists by the Jews and were synonymous with sinners. So despised were they that many Jews treated them as ritually unclean like lepers. And if that wasn't enough, his money was not accepted as alms, and his evidence was not accepted in courts of law. Publicans were truly the ultimate outcasts. That's why one scholar quips that if Jesus had one ounce of political correctness, he never would have called Matthew to follow him. Probably no one was more surprised than Matthew himself, who was sitting at his toll booth in Capernaum when he received his call to discipleship. Interestingly, Luke informs us in his gospel that Matthew was not the only prominent publican to follow Jesus. Zacchaeus also holds this distinction. However, Matthew was more than just a follower of Christ. He was one of the 12 disciples, a direct eyewitness to the life of Christ, and almost certainly one of the four evangelists, as church leaders in the AD 100s ascribed the Gospel of Matthew to him. Certainly, he had the credentials to write such an account, which was originally penned in Greek. Although Matthew was Jewish by birth, his duties as a Roman tax collector in Capernaum would have made fluency in Greek necessary as a complement to his Aramaic. Although a fair amount is known about his professional life, his personal details are more sparse. The Gospel of Mark does identify him as the son of Alphaeus, and though he is best remembered as Matthew, a name meaning gift of the Lord, both Mark and Luke call him Levi, which means attached. 
While no one knows for sure why Matthew was called by both names, Bible scholars speculate that Levi may have been a tribal name, meaning that Matthew may have belonged to the tribe of Levi, and that Matthew was a personal name. Another possibility is that Matthew was his Greek name, while Levi was his Hebrew name. Still others think that Jesus changed his name from Levi to Matthew, or vice versa. As with all the other disciples, save John and Judas, Matthew is honored as a martyr, though nobody really knows for sure how he died. What we do know is that Matthew's contributions to the furtherance of the gospel of Jesus Christ were very significant, and his work and dedication has and continues to impact countless souls over the past two millennia. It is no small thing that even though his gospel was probably not the first to be written, it nevertheless is placed first in the New Testament canon. Matthew, though once a corrupt publican, came to saving faith in Christ and lived up to his name, becoming a gift to us all by his faithful witness. So despite his Jewish critics, Matthew greatly influenced the early church. In fact, he preached in Syria, Ethiopia, and Persia, and according to Eusebius, just before Matthew departed to these distant lands, he took the time to write the first gospel as a memorial to his Jewish converts. Now, significantly, it is possibly the most widely read of all the Bible books. Even though Jesus shocked and offended the culture by taking on Matthew as his disciple, our Lord knew exactly what he was doing. And isn't that just like God? He took a man who was essentially a crook and set him on the straight and narrow path. And this should be great comfort for all of us because no matter our past or our current situation, just like Matthew, God calls us to follow him and he gives us a new life and a new purpose, an eternal life and purpose. Praise God for that. It really is interesting how the Lord works with people. That's fascinating. Thank you, Ryan. Janice? And that's exactly, Ryan, where I want to go today with where's our focus? Because we are all, we don't deserve the grace of God, do we? And yet he extends that to us. And the teachings in the New Testament are just, this chapter seven, it's amazing. This chapter is just packed full. And so a lot of times my head is going to be down because I've got notes for myself. But here we go. We start off with, with do not judge. And, and this is why I'm talking about where's our focus. We really need to, to zone in to find out where our focus is as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus is telling us, don't be worried about the speck in your brother's eye or your sister's eye when you have a plank in your own. I need to be focused on me and making sure that my life is set forward so that when I know that I can be a help alongside someone, then I can be a help, but not when I have a plank in my own eye. Where's my focus? My focus needs to be on making sure that my relationship with God is right. And then we, Jesus says, you need to keep asking. You need to keep seeking. You need to keep knocking. My focus needs to be on myself and my relationship with the Lord Jesus, with God himself, that I can keep seeking after him, that I can keep knocking and asking those questions. And that as a good parent, Jesus says, even we as evil people know how to give good gifts to our children, but how much more our Father in heaven knows what to give us and when to give us and how to give it to us so that it's most beneficial for us and for our life and for our ministry for the reason that he has created us. So we don't need to judge. Our focus needs to be looking inward at ourselves and our relationship 
to the Lord Jesus. We need to keep seeking God. We need to ask. We need to keep knocking to have that interest in getting to know God even more. Then Jesus tells us it's finding the kingdom. It's the narrow way. It's narrow. It's difficult. We don't come to Jesus and sit back and say, well, you know, life is grand now. We have to follow the Lord Jesus. And it it's a lot of change, but we don't do that on our own. It would be impossible. Jesus says, enter by the narrow gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go by, uh, go in by it because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life. And there are few who find it. So our focus needs to be on that narrow road that we can focus on that path, not veer to the left, not veer to the right, because that broad road does not, always do not lead to heaven. So we need to put our focus on that narrow road, that doorway. Jesus is the door. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Then Jesus talks about, you will know them by their fruits, talking about those that proclaim to know God, false prophets who are not saying, thus says the Lord. They're doing the opposite. And and Jesus says, you'll know them by their fruits. Well, here's the fruits that we will grow if we focus when we're not judging others, when we're looking at our own relationship with God and focusing on that, when we're asking, seeking, and knocking of God, and we focus on that narrow road, the fruits that will grow in us are these. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the things that you will see growing in those that choose to follow the Lord Jesus and to, to choose to do the things that he has set in front of us, even in just one chapter of Matthew 7. Then there's a very concerning portion where Jesus says, I never knew you. I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. You know, when we focus on these things that Jesus tells us to focus on, we will not be doing lawlessness because our focus will be in seeking after God, loving him with all our soul, all our strength and all our might. That's where we need to put our focus. That's where we need to put our attention. And when we do that, Jesus says, we build our lives upon the rock. Remember that song? The wise man built his house upon the rock while the foolish man built his house upon the sand. When the storms came, the house on the sand fell apart. But the house built on the rock, the Lord Jesus Christ, stands firm to the end. Stand firm, brother and sister in Christ. October 21st, we're going to be live in person at Faith Gospel Tabernacle in Brampton. And I want to invite you to come and join us. If you live in the Ontario area or the New York area, come and join us. First time we're doing this live. We're going to be speaking live. and Corey will be there. Janice will be there. Ryan will be there. And I'll be there. It'd be great to see you from 1 to 5.30. Go to our website and register today. Father, we pray that you would help us and give us guidance and teaching. In Jesus' wonderful name, and we said together, Amen.